0: Uh, Greetings, New Hope Church. It is so great to see all of you. Uh, My name is Matthew, and I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, if you're joining us as part of our online community, welcome to New Hope Church right here in the Minneapolis area. We are so thankful that you are with us. And for those of you who are right here on our main campus, what a joy it is to be able to connect with you, to be able to see you face-to-face, and uh, to catch up with you as we have opportunity here throughout this day. I'm I'm just delighted. This morning as I was praying, uh, the Lord just really impressed on me. Matthew, you let my people know a couple of very important things. And one of those things is this. He loves you. Did you hear that, church? God loves you so very, very much. There's no one listening to my voice that he does not treasure that he does not love. He loves you. I want you to also hear from uh, me as a, uh, as a channel, as it were, for him, that uh, you may come into this place today with no end of delights and joys and praise God. And this is a place where you can celebrate the good things that God is doing. Just like Ryan said in the video here, uh, a man who has experienced freedom from addiction and who, uh, for whom Christ has transformed his life. And we're so thankful for him and the other men that are over here at the Hope House, which is one of our ministries that we partner with. We're so grateful. All right, God does great things. Also, though, some of you come in here today, and uh, today's a hard day. And I want you to know, for you, there's a space here for you, and you are welcome here. And this is a place where you can bring your burdens, because Christ is our sure foundation. Amen? And uh, so know that. Know that. Please know that. Did you know this past week, uh, we had uh, three uh, people at our ministry in Rosebud at the Indian Reservation there in South Dakota came to know Christ? Isn't that great? Praise God for that. And then uh, a week ago, someone right here uh, during one of our worship gatherings came to know Christ. Praise God, right? This is, this is good news. And by the way, in case you haven't noticed, the bridge is finished outside. So, amen to that, right? Amen to that. And by the way, when you're heading out here in just a little bit, we've got because to celebrate that, we've got popcorn for everybody. And grab a popcorn bag heading out the door. Uh, it's a lovely day, so you can go out in the patio out there or here in the hallways, uh, and and just uh, let's just let's just celebrate uh, the simple things in life, right? Uh, It's really encouraging. And did you know, you may not know this, but our attendance actually went up this summer with the bridge closed and us having to go through the neighborhoods. Is that not a real gift from the Lord, right? Praise God for that. Go figure. Gracious Father, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for the joys. Thank you that you see us and you know us by name. And you never turn a deaf ear our way. Thank you that we can bring our delights to you, and you rejoice with us. And thank you that we can bring our pain to you, and you hold us. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that you change lives, and that through Jesus, your blessed Son, we are made new and we have hope. Speak to us now. I know you have a word for us from this love letter called the Bible. So speak to us now, Lord, and help us to receive through the power of your Spirit and for your great glory, and so we may be more like Jesus. Make it so. We pray, and all God's people said, amen, amen, amen. So we are continuing our exploration in the New Testament book of James, and as we are doing so, we're coming today to what I think is a haunting and prophetic word from God, and it relates to people that use money for selfish ends. And it also relates to those who are hurt by people who use money for selfish ends. And this is a timely conversation. You and I can open up our news apps and scan the headlines, and we see that when we look out there in the world. There are no end of stories of prominent individuals using money for selfish purposes. No end of stories of churches using money for selfish purposes. No end of stories of corporations financially running roughshod over employees or customers or communities. No end of stories of nations driven by greed, and so they take advantage of others for their own gain. You know these stories are out there. You may well have experienced the personal hurt of another's financial manipulation. I look at these things, and I have some questions. One question for me is, what will God do about that? And another question for me is, how might I rise above such dysfunctions and live a better kind of life? And another question for me is, how might God meet me when I am hurting because of injustices that come my way financially or otherwise? I hope you're hearing these questions. They're so utterly practical, and they're so real. And thankfully, God has answers, and God's Word has answers, so as we turn our attention Back yet again to the book of James in the New Testament, we find answers to these questions and more. And I've said now for some weeks, James as a book is fiercely practical and direct and accessible. And what we find there is so real life, so tangible We can take hold of it, and we can walk away not only informed, but motivated. God is good that way, and He has provided. Now in a moment, I'm going to read the first few verses of James chapter 5. So you might go ahead and find that on your phone there, or perhaps you have one of these hardback-type Bibles in your hands? I know they're rare now because of of our apps, but uh, you find it. Find James 5. As you're doing that, though, I want to preface the reading of that with three important observations. And here's observation one. James, James is carrying himself with the posture of a prophet— In these verses, and really throughout the whole book, but certainly in these verses, he is carrying himself with the posture of a prophet. And so, he's got some very strong words and strong images just in these few verses. He is channeling, as it were, the spirit of Moses and Isaiah and Amos and others. These Old Testament prophets that spoke about issues of righteousness and justice and judgment. There is a tinge of fire and brimstone, if I can play off an old image. A second observation is James is going to take the task, the rich. But what do we mean by rich? I want to be really clear, I don't think James is picking on, for example, a Christian family within the body of Christ that happened to be wealthy. Nor do I think he's got a particular non-Christian personality in mind. It's important that you hear me here. When James uses the word rich in this passage, think of it as a as a paradigm for those who use money for selfish ends. Think of it as a principle rather than a person. He's talking about a concept, not a particular Christian or non-Christian. He may have somebody in mind. He may have some receipts somewhere because of some experience along the way. But here, he's speaking more generally about those who use finances for selfish gain, to the hurt of others. And that brings me to a third observation before I read the text, and it's very important you hear this as well. Money is not the problem. Wealth is not the problem. There's nothing wrong with wealth, nor is there anything wrong with money. The realities of life are that some have wealth and some do not. Some have more money, others do not. The Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 6 puts it this way, verse 10. He says, it is, hear me now church, it is the love of money that is the root of all kinds of evils. It's not the money itself, it's not even wealth. And so, please hear me, if you and I think that what we're talking about today is the problem of wealth, or, or if we're suggesting wealth is bad, you are completely missing the point. I am completely missing the point. That's not what's being spoken of here. James is talking about an attitude. James is talking about the love of such things that end up hurting others, including ourselves. So far, so good? Yeah? Okay. All right, so let's look at the passage, James chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. And uh, if you're watching from somewhere else, it's on the screen. It's right here also for us in the room, and it's a, it's a, there's a few words there. So just listen patiently as I read. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. It's a good dinner time conversation here. You have laid up treasure in the last days. And right away you notice with me the prophetic intonations, the language of judgment, weep and howl, you rich, James says. And by using that kind of language, we are readily reminded of of the tones of the prophets of old. I mentioned Isaiah here just a bit ago. Isaiah chapter 13, verse 6, for example, finds the prophet Isaiah some 700 years before James is putting pen to parchment. Isaiah uh, writes this, wail, for the day of the Lord is near as destruction from the Almighty it will come. And so that's just an example of the kind of tones when judgment is being called upon When repentance is being invited, the voice of the prophet begs for us to humble ourselves and to weep and wail, and James is doing this here. Now scholar Douglas Moo, preeminent scholar, he offers this this word about this. Look with me here. The word for howling that we see here in James 5 verse 1. All right, uh, it's found only, that word, the only other places it's found in the Bible is, is in the prophets in the Old Testament. And notice this, very important that you see this here. It is always, always in the context of judgment. Now, that's, that's fascinating. Here's, Douglas Moo goes on to say this, so notice this, very important. Notice these next words here. This background makes it clear, this background makes it clear that the miseries that are coming upon the rich, remember what I said about the rich, it's a principle, it's a category. James does not have necessarily uh, somebody of wealth in mind in 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 a personal sense. I mean, he may have some anecdote here and there, but the reality is he's talking about those who use money for selfish ends, all right? Uh, The background makes clear the miseries that are coming upon the rich refer not to earthly temporal suffering, but to the condemnation and punishment that God will met out upon them on the day of judgment. Now, friends, churches don't talk about this kind of thing very much. And evangelicals actually spend a lot of time talking about, Uh, salvation, personal salvation, being born again, and praise God. We just celebrated folks that have come to know Christ here in these past uh, several days through our ministries. Praise God, right? What we don't talk about a lot is the fact that those who fall short of God's glory will receive eternal punishment and condemnation, and so James is recognizing here A generalized idea that the rich of whom he speaks will have a heart of stone and cling to their wares until their dying day, idolizing such things so as to keep them from seeing Jesus, and God will punish them for this. That's a hard word. That's a very hard word. Now the question might be, well, what is this judgment for? Why this judgment? Why is it that James is in, as it were, a tizzy about such things? Well we, we see it there in verses uh, 4 and following of uh, James chapter 5. We see the idea here that, that um, or I'm sorry, verses uh yeah, verse 4 and following, behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud. You're not paying those you owe money to. And if you do pay them, you're not paying them justly. These are crying out against you, crying out to God. The The Lord of hosts, it says, which is a fascinating uh, statement right there. I, if, if I'm not mistaken, it's the only, maybe one of two times we see it in the New Testament. Uh, it is a direct reference. Remember, James is writing to a Christian audience of a Jewish background. We've established this already several times. They would get this language. It is a reference, a direct reference to Yahweh Sabaoth, the God of the armies of Israel. And so, with that kind of language, I mean, this is old, classic. Hebrew Scripture, Old Testament kind of language, Uh, basically James is saying, look, you're going against the preferred wishes of the God of the armies of Israel, and by using that military language, it just screams justice, judgment, condemnation, and victory over darkness and evil. That's how James is feeling about these things, friends, and all of that under the auspices of the Holy Spirit. Now, we have to understand, (laughs) uh, the problem here is that the rich, this category of people, are using money for their own selfish ends, listen to me, at the cost of human dignity. At the cost of the human dignity of others. They are robbing the dignity of others. They are affronting such. They are hurting others. And the cry of those others is coming up to God. And listen, church, God does not like it when people are treated unjustly. He does not like it. He has thoughts about it. I appreciate Brian Stevenson, and I I think you will too, Uh, a very reputable Christian attorney specializing as an advocate for those who are incarcerated inappropriately. And uh, he, he has this statement here, I want you to notice it with me, the opposite of poverty is not wealth, it is injustice. All right, do you hear that? So the issue is not wealth or poor, necessarily. It's not even about money, it's about the attitude. The opposite of what keeps people impoverished is not that they should have more money. The opposite of it is, 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 is injustice. It is injustice that puts them in that situation. It is injustice that makes them to be poor, not necessarily a lack of money. You and I both know plenty of people that might lack the kind of financial means that that we think might be commonplace in the world, and they thrive just fine. Thank you. The issue is not whether they have the resource per se. The issue is the world that, that comes around them and puts them into a position of desperation. And what might those who have means contribute to that problem? How might that unfold? What does that look like? James is calling this out. As a matter of fact, Jesus tells a parable. It's in the Gospel of Luke. A famous parable, and it unpacks this whole problem. Look at it right here from Luke chapter 16. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. It's a very famous parable that Jesus tells. You guys know this. Some of you know it. Some may not. At the gate on his property was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Notice, poor Lazarus isn't wanting to sit at the table. He just wants the crumbs. That's how desperate he is. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked the sores of this man. The dogs were probably better fed. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And so he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water so as to cool my tongue. Now notice with me right here. Do you see this? Even on the other side of the veil, the spiritual veil, even in the the next life, as it were, this rich man is bossing Lazarus around and treating Lazarus like like nothing other than a slave. Hey, it's hot over here on this side of the afterlife. Can you send Lazarus over to bring me some water? What kind of attitude is that? That's what James is— trying to dig into here. And we go forward, notice the rich man says, I'm in anguish in this flame. Abraham said, child, remember that in your lifetime, that you in your lifetime received your good things. And Lazarus, in like manner, received bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. Now, this story right here, told by Jesus in Luke 16, clarifies exactly what it is that James is addressing in James chapter 5. The way the rich use their resources for selfish gain at the cost of human dignity. And so proud are they that even in the fires of hell they presume to order those they have taken advantage of to come and comfort them? No, no, no. God hears the cries of those who are treated so poorly, and he rises up in judgment. He rises up in judgment. Now, this begs some questions for for us. I have to really wrestle with some things here. Do I let money use me, or do I use it? Am I so infatuated with it that it drives me and defines my life? If I'm an employer, am I paying my employees a just wage? Am I treating them with the kind of respect that they deserve because they are human beings, or do do I see them as just widgets and commodities in my big array of of, uh, of financial doings? We're a pro-life people. We talk about being pro-life. Do I allow for maternity and paternity leave for for the— workers that are part of my organization so that they might be in a position to really come alongside the newborn child and, and help that child get a great start? Or do I decide that that's an offense against my portfolio? Are the women in my organization paid the same as the men, assuming the pedigrees are right and equal? way of experience and education and responsibility? Or do I play into old patriarchal shticks so as to be sure to not have to give up too much coinage too early? Now, many of us aren't business people or owners, and so those questions might not be relevant for us. But how generous are we with our tips? For people who Work hard, especially in the today's environment. How generous are we with our tips? When you go to Sunshine Factor here after church today, what's your reputation when it comes to the tip part? I mean, these are just th- we have to really wrestle with real-life things. We all have resources. How are we thinking about our resources? Do they own us, or do we own them? James says here in verses 2 and 3, your riches have rotted, your garments are moth-eating, your gold and silver have corroded. Listen, it is a good thing to pile up money for reasonable security in our lives. That's good stewardship. The book of Proverbs in the Old Testament is replete with admonitions toward that, but when we hoard because that becomes our identity, that's a problem. And that's what James is calling out. And if we look, we wonder, is it really a problem? Oh, friend, listen to these words. Talk about judgment. Revelation chapter 18, verse 11. Look here with me. The merchants of the earth weep and mourn. This is, by the way, at the return of Christ, when Christ brings judgment upon the unredeemed world. The merchants of the earth weep and mourn, no one buys their cargo anymore, cargo of gold and silver, jewels, pearls, fine linen, purple cloth, silk, scarlet cloth, all kinds of scented wood, all kinds of articles of ivory, all kinds of articles of costly wood, bronze, iron, marble, cinnamon, spice, incense, myrrh, frankincense, wine, oil. Fine flour, wheat, cattle, sheep, horses, chariots, slaves, that is, human souls, the fruit for which your soul longed has gone from you. And all your delicacies and your splendors are lost to you, never to be found again. And the merchants of these wares who gained wealth from her will stand far off in fear of her torment, weeping and mourning." Mm. Okay, so why are we talking about these things here? Well, I mean, James brings it up, so there's that. But there's a couple things I want to drive home here for us. When we look at what James presents in James 5 regarding the rich and the way they idolize their spoils to the detriment of those around them, We see something that God judges, but you know what else we see? Implied in all of that is a vision for how we can do something differently. Are you listening, church? Implied in that is a vision for how we can live nobly and honorably and humbly. And I can't help but think of the words of Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew from that windswept hill on the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee. The Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus offers these words, Matthew 6, verse 19 and following, Do not lay up treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But "...lay up treasure for yourself in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also." That's the vision right there. Now notice, treasure's fine. The wealth is fine. It's not about the money. It's about the heart. And is our treasure in heaven, or is it here on earth?" For where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. And so may it be that we use our treasure for God's good glory. God's glory. God's glory. And may we be a people. Listen to me, friends. May we be a church growing together, reaching out, and giving all. That ought to be our posture, growing together, reaching out, giving all. That's our posture. So that's one reason that this conversation is helpful. Here's the second reason this conversation is helpful. Because some of us are hurting because of the ways we have been treated by those wielding financial power inappropriately. We have been the brunt of some financial injustice. Maybe it's from our employer throughout time, promises made, promises not fulfilled. Maybe it's from the government, expectations that either haven't been fulfilled or unjust practices that make our daily existence particularly hard financially. Maybe it's from family members and the way they have manipulated us financially growing up or what, whatever the story might be. We all have stories. We all have stories. We we have all experienced what it is to be manipulated because of the financial power of another. And God sees this. The question for us in those moments is, how do we respond? How do we think? How do we feel? And James James is clear. Look with me. James chapter 5, verse 7 and following. You'll see it here. Notice with me. Be patient, he says. Therefore, brothers and sisters Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, that you may not fall under condemnation. Hallelujah, indeed. And when I read these words, there's a handful of values that rise to the top. Patience. Steadfastness. Not grumbling and complaining with those around you. Keeping your word. And waiting on the day. Listen to me, church. Waiting on the day when the Lord will make all things broken Right and true. Right and true. And he will do that. He will do that. Praise God. And you may say, but pastor, that's great. Patience, steadfastness, all that. It's wonderful, but I can't do that in my own strength. I'm so angry. I'm so hurt. I don't have voice. Absolutely right. And so it is, we praise God for promises like we see, promises that tell us it's not by might and it's not by power, but it's by the Spirit, says the Lord. The Holy Spirit is within every daughter and son of the Most High God, every redeemed individual, and the Holy Spirit gives you power to help you in your time of need. And we read this uh, from the uh, Apostle Paul, right? Right? Where where he says to us, in um, in Romans, he says to us. Or I'm sorry. In First Corinthians, he says to us that it is uh, that that my grace, my grace is sufficient for you yes. in your weaknesses. My power, my power is for you in your weaknesses. A final word. And I want you to hear me. In in James five, verse six is that simple, almost throwaway statement. Talking about the one who doesn't resist the rich man. Why doesn't he resist? He doesn't have a voice. Because that's the way the dynamics work. But let me remind you of Jesus. Led like a lamb to the slaughter. And like a sheep before its shearers was silent. He understands not having a voice before the powerful. But let me tell you something else about Jesus. Right? He lived a sinless life. And he was betrayed by a friend. And he was arrested by the authorities. And he was tried unjustly. And he was tortured. And he was drugged to a hilltop and nailed to a cross. And he died there. But, friends, then he did what? He rose from the dead. He rose and he's alive. And then He ascended into the heavenly places, and He's at His Father's side interceding for the saints, including those who have no voice. And He will return in glorious triumph and judgment. And because of this, sin, death, the devil, and all of the financial injustice any of you have ever dealt with or any other injustice under the sun will no longer have the final word because He is good and He makes all things right and new. Would you stand with me? Father, thank You for this Jesus who sees it all, And the injustices that are so commonplace around something as utterly common as money. He will make right. For the resources we have, may we lay them before you. May our treasure always be in heaven and not on earth. If we are mean-spirited and selfish with our resources, we repent, forgive us. Help us to have the wisdom of the Spirit of God and help us to make it right. And when we have been treated so poorly, when our powerlessness and voicelessness haunts us, we cry out to you and you hear us we thank you that Christ is our firm foundation the rock on which we stand in him is our identity not our pain or injustice in him is our hope not our money in him is our glory not earthly wares oh we love this jesus and we bless his name forevermore